Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel Ch Sydney livestream. Um, ben uh, is not here today. He's uh, uh, taken the week off, so he's asked me to do this. Um, it's quite interesting because about uh, four weeks ago, I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, you beaut, we're in lockdown. Ben can continue doing this because he can't go anywhere. And then my wife is sitting there at the, at the computer and she says, hey, Bob, I just got an email from Ben. He wants to know if you want to teach on the 21st. And I'm like, son of a gun, he got me again. So here I am teaching uh, this morning. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Jeremiah 23. So if you want to turn your Bibles to that, uh, we'll go through there. Um, to give you guys some background of, of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is what I've been reading through in my personal time. Um, while also teaching through Ezekiel on Wednesday nights. Um, the time frame of this is uh, you've, you've got the, um, the kings of Israel, and, and, a, and the Israel's already been departed to Assyria uh, because the Assyrians have invaded. Um, the kings of Judah, you've got Josiah. And Josiah was a really good king, but after he died, his sons take over, and he had a son named Jehoahaz who... Uh, reigned for about three months, he was taken away, and then you have a guy called Jehoiakim, and then a guy called Jehoiachin, and then lastly, you've got King Zedekiah, who's the last king of Judah before the Babylonians come and invade. Um, so in this, Jeremiah, he's giving a message of, please repent. Please repent, turn from your sins, everything that is going bad, you've turned your hearts from God, and he wants them to come back to the Lord. So let's get into Jeremiah chapter 23 and see where things are at. Um, and the reason why I chose this chapter was simply this. I normally have my daily reading, and there are days that I, that I don't read, um, but about about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, um, I'm at home and I wake up and I work from home now. So the first thing I do is I get my cup of tea and I go sit down on my computer and I had a tender I had to work on. And I kept going early morning. I get in there and, and the most important thing in my mind at that time was, well, the tender. So I start working on it. And then I take a break and I, I go and read the newspaper because the newspaper is so important. And then you get around and you're doing things. You're like, wait a second. I've got to pack the dishwasher. So the dishwasher is the most important. So you get all these things, and all of a sudden, three days go by, and I hadn't taken in any of the word. And you know, I could, I could feel I didn't like the way I was thinking. I didn't like the way I was talking. And it impacted everything because I wasn't taking the word of God in. And it's so easy to do when you think all these other things are important. But the most important thing is spending time with the Lord because he's the one who changes you. He's the one who impacts you, and he's the one who impacts me. So, of course, that morning after the, after the fourth day, I woke up and I went, I, I, I could feel this. Open the Bible. Now, I know who that is. I, I know that's the Lord because nothing else, who else is going to tell me to open the Bible? So I open the Bible and I come to, I was just at that point in Jeremiah 23, and Boy, this hit me. So I'm going to bring this to you and see how we go. 
So again, as we get into here, we're seeing Judah has a lot of bad kings. King Jehoiachin, King Jehoiachin, and then uh, Zedekiah. And they're all bad kings. and They're all bad leaders. So we'll start in verse 1 to 4 of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, go down, I'm sorry, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of the flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So in verse 1, God says, Woe to the shepherds. And the shepherds at that time, at that time would have been the kings. Kings would have been referred to as shepherds. We see David as, as sort of that shepherd, that shepherd king. Obviously, the priests and the prophets were also shepherds. And we even see today ministers and um, pastors would be shepherds. But in this, he's saying the shepherds would be the kings. And if you, if you want to look for yourselves, go to the chapters just before this in chapter 21 and 22. And it's all about Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. So he's saying to them, Woe to you, you've scattered my sheep. In verse 2, he tells us something as well. He says that, um, I am against the shepherds who feed my people. So he's against these leaders, these shepherds who fed his people. Now, obviously, if they were feeding them good things, then God would not have been against them. But they were feeding them all sorts of things. And this is where it's so important to understand and realize what we're being fed. For me, for those three days, you know what was being fed? I was being fed the newspaper and what was happening. And like in today's world, the Black Lives Matter is the mo most thing that the news is getting into. A couple months ago, coronavirus was the big thing. It's still there. And I'm assuming it'll probably go back into being a prominence again. But all these things feed. And then what else feeds me is, is myself. My selfish needs of, of doing and wanting. And so there's always things around that are going to feed. And, and you look at things like... Um, I don't have Facebook. My, my wife does. And, and sometimes the people put in things in there about Christianity and whatever, and there's videos, and they get fed, and they're there. And you can, you got to be careful about what's put out there because you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got all these things. You've even got, you've even got YouTube. And you got to be careful of that too. And it's, it's true because there's so many things out there. And, and you can listen to so many voices and so many things but are we actually listening to what the Lord wants to say to us through his word? Because that's the most powerful thing. It's the Holy Spirit comes and he talks to us through, this, through the word and he changes us. So these guys are feeding the people, but they're being fed the wrong things. And God says, you know, 
I've seen what you're doing. You haven't attended to my people. So God says to these leaders, I will attend to you. You haven't taken care of them. I'm going to attend to you. And he does. And, and in verse 3, he tells us even how bad it's going to be because these people are going to go into Babylon. And he says, I'm going to bring you back. And we know historically that they did come back. They did come back. And we also know that after World War II, the people of Israel came back. But there's even more coming when he restores all of Israel and brings them back. And he's going to do this. So we've, we've seen what he has to say about the bad leaders. Then God throws in this, so, this marvelous two or three verses that shows us what a great leader looks like, a great leader who's got it all. So we'll read verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which we will be called the Lord our righteousness. This undoubtedly is Jesus Christ, the great leader, the one whom the children of Israel have longed for, the one that we as Christians have received, but we still long for his reign upon this world. We know that he is Jesus Christ because in verse 5 it tells us he's going to raise a branch, a branch of David. Now David was the king and God had promised a king would come through David's lineage. But we saw, and we will see this as you go through the scriptures, that King Jehoiakim, then King Jehoiachin, and then King Zedekiah, after that last king of King Zedekiah, there has never been a king in Israel since that day. They went to Babylon, they came back, but they never had a king. And so they are waiting for this promised king. Even though the kingship have died, the lineage of David's ancestry kept going. And that ancestry has risen up through and came through the birth of Jesus Christ, the righteous king. So we see in, in this verse that he will be a king and he will, his, his, his kingdom will be marked with prosperity it will be, uh, have judgment. It'll have judgment throughout the world. That things will be right. And it'll be righteous. And notice this. It says his reign will be in the earth. Not just in the land of Israel, but throughout the entire earth. And that's how we also know that this is about the second coming of Jesus. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes, he will come to rule the earth. And it will be for the Jewish nation because it tells us in his days, Judah will be saved. That's the southern tribe. And Israel, the northern tribes. And they'll dwell safely. And now by this, 
is his name by which we will be called the Lord our righteousness. These Jewish people will realize that the righteousness that they need with God can only come through Jesus Christ. Verse 7 and verse 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from the country where I've driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Verse 7, it was great that they had a history that God had taken them from the land of Egypt, but even better that he now takes people scattered throughout the world and brings them back. Absolutely incredible. Now, after the Lord throws this little interjection of who this great king is, Jeremiah gets back to the task at hand. Verse 9 and 10. My heart is broken, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. Jeremiah has a broken heart. He sees the things around him, and it hurts him, and he's sad, and it's, he's disturbed by it. The first thing he says is, I have a broken heart because of the prophets. The messages that were going out broke his heart because the messages that were, were said and the things that they were doing, they influenced people. And that's why you've got to be so careful with what messages that you hear. Because they influence you. And he's shaken. It says, he, I'm, I'm, my bones are shaken. I'm like a drunken man. I'm just overwhelmed by this. Not only is he broken by what, because of the prophets. There's another one he says, because of the Lord and his holy words. And you go, why is that? Why is Jeremiah disturbed and, and has a broken heart because of God and his holy words? Well, simply this. God had said to the people of Israel, the children of Israel, if you do these things, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. But if you turn from me and you do your own thing, well, then judgment's coming. And we see this in verse 10, for the land is full of adulterers. And there's a curse in the land, and the pleasant places turn bad. And the course of life is evil, and, and the people have might. It's not right. The people aren't being taken care of, and people are turning from God. And, and it, breaks, it will break your heart when you get into the Scriptures and read the things that God says. And getting into here, and you read these things, you'll want to pray for people. Verse 11 to 15. For both the prophet and the priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery ways, 
In the darkness, they shall be driven on and fallen them. For I will bring disaster on them. The year of their punishment, says the Lord. I have seen the folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal. They caused my people Israel to err. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from their wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and I will make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into the whole land. And in here, Jeremiah describes the lifestyle of, of these prophets. He, he calls them in verse 11 profane. That simply means they're unholy. They should have led a holy life just as we should lead a holy life. And then it breaks his heart that we see in verse 10 that it's actually in God's house. It's actually in the temple that this is happening. And it's like, you're kidding. So that tells us that the, the leaders, so the kings the priests and the prophets had no problem continuing in religious activity. Even though they were unholy, they continued in their religious activity, which you, you think it's, it's almost, you can't even think, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Yet it happened then and it happens today. You've got to be very careful with the messages that you hear and look at the lives of the people who are giving them. God says, okay, I, I've seen this stuff. Verse 13, your ways are slippery. You're slimy. But guess what? Anybody who walks on slippery surfaces eventually is going to fall. And he says, disaster's coming. Their year of your punishment. At some point in time, you're going to pay for the bad messages, God says. And in verse 13, he gives a little bit of a history lesson. He looks at things from afar. I've seen the, the folly of the prophets of Samaria. Now, the prophets of Samaria were up in the area where Israel, the, the, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes were, or the 10 tribes were. And they had listened to the false prophets, and they had turned from God. And then the Assyrian army came, and they invaded that land and took them captive. So from afar, the message was there. And it tells us that these messages, the prophets, they made my people err. How sad if they had only not listened to what was happening. It could have been so different. In verse 14, he continues to bring it even closer to home. I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem the place where God should have been venerated beyond belief, the place where it should have been spot on, where three times a year 
the men had to come and, and worship God. And most of the families did. And this place would have been a, a place of worship. And yet, it was just ridiculousness. And it tells us that the prophets, they actually strengthened the hands of evildoers. The words that they said encouraged bad behavior. Whether that's encouraging or they didn't discourage the bad behavior. And because of this, no one turned from his wickedness. And it tells us that they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, because Sodom and Gomorrah have been the book of Genesis, I'm not going to tell you anything about this. I'm going to encourage you to open the book of Genesis and you read it for yourselves to see what Sodom and Gomorrah are really like and what happened. And God says to the people of Israel, his own people, I'm going to treat you like that. That's harsh. But they had turned their backs and they hadn't shown the grace and the love and, and everything that God was to the people around them or even to themselves. And of course, in verse 15, God's going to get them. You know, it was sin that separates us from God. And it's, it's sin was rampant in this day. And yet they were separated from God. And all God wanted to do was say, guys, just repent. But the message sort of been, hey, relax and enjoy. God's for you. And he's going, no, we, we have to deal with something first. I want you. I want to help you. But they wouldn't. And they were separated from God. In verse 16 and 17, we're going to get to some of this message. And this is, this is craziness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart not from the mouth of the Lord, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. That's just bizarre. That priests and prophet don't want to help people. You know, probably deep down, they're probably thinking, I'm doing a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping people encouraged. I'm making them feel good. But that's not what people need. People need the word of the Lord. You know, for, for myself, it was when I came to Jesus at the age of uh, 28, 29, it was so long ago, that's when I needed the hard word and the hard word of the Lord came. And then you'll have peace. And then no evil shall come upon you because my Lord's with me. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have a hard time and difficult times, but I needed that. You've got to have peace with God in order to have peace from, with, uh, peace from God in order to have peace with God in that, in that thing. But notice this, the messages that the prophets were giving and the people were listening, it tells us it made them worthless. They, they, it, you're not worth anything. It's not helping you. It's not impacting you. 
And the vision, they, they says they came out of their own heart. Now, spiritual messages, the scriptures tell us, can come from three sources. It can come from the Holy Spirit. It can come from a demonic spirit. Or it can come from the human spirit. And this came from the human spirit. And as, if you're in my Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about this where it's the, the, the prophets were giving things that they, 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 they made it up to make people feel good or to make themselves look good, or to make themselves prosperous. And it, it came from their own feeling of trying to make religion and trying to make people be better. But that's not how people get better. The only way you get better is by the Lord doing it. It's, it's so perplexing in verse 17 that people who despise God, they don't want to do the things that he asks them to do. And nothing he asks us to do is quite hard, you know. You simply think, oh, don't murder. Don't lie. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on your husband. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't, don't do these things. Help other people. Love the Lord and love people. And yet they despise God and yet the message to them was, you'll have peace. Peace, brother. So they would come for a religious service, come to a religious teacher, and even though their lives were backwards, they got a false hope from these false prophets who said peace. And they look at the, the things that the dic- they walked to the dictates of their own heart. They did whatever they wanted whatever's good for me and yet the message was keep going brother keep going sister no evil will come upon you you can do all the evil you want you're safe because why well you're you're a child of god you're a child of israel you're okay and it's just a false hope that was given to these people by a false prophet it gets worse in verse 18 for who has stood in the counsel of the lord And who has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? For behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth into fury. A a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it. Perfectly. If these false prophets had actually stood before God and listened to him and listened to his message, they would have known that God was going to be, bring destruction on Jerusalem. Jeremiah's message throughout the entire book is, you guys have turned from the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come. He's the king of Babylon. And the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take you into captivity. Just submit and go. But the other message was, life's good. Don't worry about that. You're a child of God. You don't have to worry about anything. And unfortunately, they listened to the wrong ones. And it says the violent, they'll come on the head of the wicked and God will execute it. And he did. And I like it that in verse 17, it talks about everyone walked according to to their own heart. And God says in this, 
He has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart, what he wants. He wants holiness in his people. And he wants people to see that he makes a difference in lives. And the way the children of Israel lived, God didn't make a difference in their lives. And it was sad that he had to to do this. Verse 21, even more about the false prophets. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall see, not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. God says, I didn't send these people. And it tells us they ran. Well, running takes energy and it takes action. And that's what a lot of false prophets are. It's action and it's activity. He had not spoken to them, yet they had no problem talking and telling their messages because their messages came from their own heart. It didn't come from the scriptures. It didn't match up with the scriptures. If they had, tells us here, that the message would have been repent. Repent. Why did God want them to repent? Because he wanted to help them. And he wanted to save them. And he didn't want to see destruction come. These false prophets were not sent by God. That means they had a false authority. They gave false hope. They have a false authority. And look at here. He says, am I a God who is close to hand and also far off? I'm everywhere. I see everything. And if that's the theology that people were actually being taught, and obviously these men could do one thing and think they could do another on the pulpit or in the temple, well, that's a bad theology because God is everywhere. And the unfortunate thing is what we think about God is how we end up living. So if we think that God doesn't see the things that we're going to do, guess what? We're going to end up doing them. And that's a bad theology. So they had false hope, false authority, and false teaching, and false theology. And unfortunately, that's what happened back then. They were listening. The people were listening to all the wrong messages because it wasn't lining up with what God had said. Now we'll add one more false inspiration. Verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have a dream. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of, my, of, of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. False inspiration. 
They have a dream, but it didn't come from God. And it tells us that they prophesy lies. Any message, and I, I've, I learned this years ago too. If there's a teaching, okay, and it's getting you to do something, and it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and his ability to help you, and his leading is wrong. It's wrong. It's false. Because if you, if the teaching has to, for you have to do something, and he's not in it, well, then it's wrong. And there's so much teaching, so much teaching. Be very, very careful. These guys were saying, I have a dream. And basically, this is captivating. I, I mean, if you were sit there and go, like, we all have dreams, right? And you ever wake up and you, and you tell someone your dream, it's really strange, or I was falling, I was doing this, or this or that. And it, it's, it's captivating, you know? And when people of spiritualness have dreams, it, it's captivating, and people come on board, and it, and it sort of, um, it, it gets you. But be careful of the messages, because in verse 25, it tells us the whole thing was to get people to go away from the Lord. They forgot him. And so if God isn't in the middle of it, then be very, very careful. Now we're going to get to a comparison between the dreams and the messages and, and God's word. Verse 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And I tell you what, when I had gone three days uh, without getting into the word of God and I didn't like the way I was thinking, I didn't like the way I was talking or acting, this is the scripture that hit me that morning. It was like all the chaff, the, the news articles, the thoughts of my own heart and head, and you're going, what on earth have I been listening to? And yet you get back into the word, and you're like, this is what I needed. This is what I needed. And the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword. It actually changes you. It changes me. How come, you know, every time I get up here, you can probably go through all the annals of what I've ever taught, and it always comes back to the Word of God. And, you know, as much as I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. I'm more so talking to me. So in these verses, God gives a challenge. Here's two different messages. Okay, challenge number one. Mr. Prophet, if you've got a dream, go ahead and tell your dream. Go ahead, send it out there. But understand this, this is just a dream. And we know in the Bible that God has used dreams. He has. He, he's done it through Joseph and, and a few others. But not every dream is from God. 
Then he says this, the second challenger, you've got my word? Then do this, speak my word faithfully. And this is why I love the word faithfully. I was thinking about this all week, and it didn't come to me till last night. And I thought, gee, you know, I can be faithful in the word, and I can do this. And no, it's not up to me. The scripture actually tells us when we're unfaithful, he's faithful. And I actually think this is where the Holy Spirit comes in here and really gives the power behind the word. Because he is faithful. He's always faithful to honor the word of God. Now, I can teach the word of God, and hopefully I'm, I'm rightfully dividing it, and I'm faithfully teaching it. But I try to do that, but the most faithful one is God himself, and he always honors his word, and he impacts it, and it's powerful. Then he says, what is the chaff to the wheat? You have a dream, it's like chaff. It just gets blown away. It's nothing. It's, it's worthless. It's useless. It just gets burned away. It's, it flows away. So when you're um, sifting wheat or you're or doing that, you're, you're sitting there, you're thrashing it, and the, the chaff just flows away, and, and the kernels, the, the wheat, fall to the ground, the sustenance. And he says, my word has sustenance. It's, it's, it gives you nourishment. And now I'm going to get a bit... I'm going to say almost, well, put it this way. You should do this every day. And I'm not saying it as a, a requirement that you have to do this because I don't want to be legalistic in that way. But, you know, when it comes to wheat, he's comparing his word to nonsense. His word is nourishment. Now, every day we all eat. Most of us have breakfast, lunch, or dinner or sometimes we don't have breakfast, we have lunch or dinner, but we have sustenance every single day. Every single day. Because we need it. We need food to live. And I'm going to encourage you right now, find the time every day to read your word. Because the messages are out there. The messages of falseness are out there. The messages that you're going to get through Facebook. The messages you're going to get through the newspapers. The messages you're going to get through the radio or the television. Oh my goodness. The television. The things that you can find about possibly Christian teaching on television. Wow. Be careful. Be careful. But he says, my word, this is what's going to really impact your life. And again, I don't want to be legalistic in this, but I'm telling you, you can sit here and you can agree going, yeah, Bob, I, I, you're right. But you have to do it. If you, the hardest thing to do is just sitting down and opening it. Once you do that, you got it. You know, I, I used to work at a job, and the hardest thing was getting there, was 
wake it up and get it. Once you get there, you go. You're good. You know? And I think some of you can probably relate to that. And the hardest thing, just sit, get away, open it, and say, God, talk to me. What do you want? I want to listen to you because I've listened to all that. And it says, my word is like a fire. Man, it, 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 it refines, it purifies. It's what I want. It's what you want. The purification of my life. And it burns up all the nonsense. And it's like a hammer. It's got power. It can break the hard heart. And we all have a bit of a hard heart. That's the power of it. We'll end on this. I'll read 30 through 40 and just give you a real quick synopsis and then we'll, we'll finish off. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord. And tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So when these people, the prophet or the priests, ask you, and he's talking to Jeremiah, saying, What's the oracle of the Lord? You shall say to them, What oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priests and the people who say, the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus, every one of you shall say to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord, you shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore, thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, and I have sent to you saying, do not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I, would utterly forget you and forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forsaken. This sex section can be quite tricky due to the Hebrew and how it works. Basically, God is just fed up with people saying, hey, the oracle of the Lord and go ahead and speak and never, never actually teach the Bible. He is so tired of it. And he says, enough's enough. So in verse 33, he tells Jeremiah, this is how it really should read. And it's a bit tricky because of the Hebrew. But it says, hey, Jeremiah, when these people come to you and say, okay, Jeremiah, what's the oracle of the Lord today? What's the burden of the Lord? Jeremiah's response is, you're the burden. It's you who's the burden. And you're a burden. And the false messages are a burden upon us. And they're destructive. And they turn us away from Jesus. 
I wanted to finish on this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is going through Galilee and he, 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 he's teaching and he, he's performing miracles and he, he has the same sort of thing where in his day, people didn't listen to the word of God. And you know what? They didn't repent. And he goes around to all these different places and they don't want him and they don't want God. And he gives woes. He gives woes to Chorazim and he gives woes to Capernaum and he gives woes to Bethsaida. And I find this amazing. Before he says the words that I'm going to repeat next, I'm going to show this, but he says, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works have been done. Why? Because they did not repent. The prophets of the days were always relax, enjoy, have fun. Jesus said, repent. And he gives this message in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The message that you hear will distract you from Jesus. The false messages that come in your life will take you away from Jesus. Jesus wanted repentance, and he gives the invitation. He says, take my yoke, come to me. The false prophets, they were a burden. Their messages were a burden. And unfortunately, the people who listened, their lives were a burden. And Jesus says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to him and let him take you through the days and the weeks and the years in your life. Spend time in the word, spend time with the Lord, and be careful of the messages. And thank you for joining us today.